Welcome to the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. This podcast aims to provide a safe space that explores mental health within the Black community, breaks down the stigmas attached while taking back our narratives. Today, um, I am so excited and I think everyone listening to this one today will also be very excited, but also I think leave with some knowledge. Yes. So let me tell you a little bit about Trey Anthony. Okay. So Trey Anthony is an award-winning writer, motivational speaker, and relationship life coach. She is the first black woman in Canada to have a television series on a primetime network. Her work includes the plays, The Kink in My Hair, and How Black Mothers Say I Love You. Trey's life purpose is to empower women to live their best damn lives. Yes. (laughs) Yes, honey. Right. (laughs) Her new book, Black Girl in Love with Herself, published by Hay House, is available as of January 2021. Mm -hmm. She divides her time between Atlanta and Toronto. She is an adoption advocate and the proud mama bear to her son, Kai. In her spare time, she enjoys laughing at herself and all of her antics and eating cupcakes. (laughs) So you want to also follow Trey Anthony. She's got an Instagram account, Black Girl in Love, and TreyAnthony.com to learn more about her. But we are going to get a glimpse of this powerhouse woman's life. Yes. Like when I was thinking of what is the perfect quote for Trey Anthony, I saw this one and it goes, I love myself so much that I did the work, vibrated higher and manifested a whole new life. That's right. That is Trey Anthony. And you know, this woman has been such an inspiration in in our community and has set the bar when it comes to film and television in the black community and as being a black woman and being the first in Canada. So, and what we love about Trey, what I love about Trey is the fact that she lifts as she climbs, yes. you know, and I love when I see somebody doing the work, just continuously doing the work and working on themselves. And let me tell you something about this episode. And like all episodes, when you listen to our guests speak, remember, we created this podcast for you. We created this podcast to create a safe space. We created a podcast for us to take back our narratives. And we created a podcast because we know that these stories can either help you unlock your own mental prison or even save your life. Mm. So when when I say that, me and Dr. Natasha William, we really come together and we really created a space for you. We created a space for you. And I want you to listen to this episode and 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 take it all in before. And I will stop preaching because <laughs> let's go. That's absolutely. Let's go. Let's go. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Oh, th- well, thank you so much for coming. I mean, uh, for being on. It is such a pleasure and an honor. honor. So such an honor. You know what? Why don't we get started? We're going to dive right into this. And I, for the people that don't know you, I mean, we've got a great audience, but there may be one or two people who maybe had their head in the sand. Um, <laughs> can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? 
Sure. I'm an actor, playwright, producer, and now published author. I'm Ooh. best known for my... Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. I had to, give a, I had to give, a, give a little woohoo and clap because we'll definitely be talking about that. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Um, so, I'm very excited about my book, Black Girl in Love with Herself. Nice. And I'm best known, I, I think, for my work, The Kink in My Hair, which was a play and then turned into a TV show, what made me the first black woman in Canada to have a TV show on the Primetime Network. That's right. And, yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now I'm currently um, a development producer at CTV, Bell Media. And I'm, yeah, promoting my book, um, writing television shows, and that's kind of my thing, and um, pushing self-wellness and self-care and self-love and really trying to encourage Black women to live their best lives and put themselves at the top of their to-do list. Oh, my goodness. I love that. I was going to say the exact same thing. (laughs) I think especially for us as Black women in Black community, we do not do this enough no we don't the self-love i think has been a topic that we've pushed to the back burner Mm -hmm. way too long Mm -hmm. and i think Mm -hmm. um so myself as a clinical psychologist i've been a psychologist now for 15 years and to see how our community has been shattered broken um you know deteriorating as a result of not embracing self-love yes, um, and thinking that actually it's a negative to do so that we have to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of our black womanhood. Exactly. I was going to say, were we taught, were we raised like to have self-love, to really love ourselves first and put ourselves first. It's always looked as something negative, you know, how dare you love yourself, love everyone else, take care of everyone, be the, be the neck, be, (laughs) Be you know, (laughs) just, just take care of everyone, but yourself and Mm -hmm. neglecting herself. And before I even get into it, that whole term strong, you know how I feel about that strong black woman and how Mm -hmm. that whole term needs to be dismantled. And because it's not a compliment, I don't want to get into it. It strips (laughs) us of our humanity. It is not a compliment, but, Mm-hmm. But I'm I I I will you're, pause. You're di- digress. I will digress. pause. Yes, I will, yes. 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 So, Trey, can you tell us your story in regards to mental health? Yeah, for sure. Um, funny enough, I, I will say, um, Stacy, um, and this is why I really admire what you do. You are the first Black woman I saw publicly talking about anxiety, mental health, depression, and how you dealt with your own mental health. And so I really admire you for that and talking about your anxiety. And um, for me, when I was actually just about, just over a year ago, I was going through, um, at that time, a breakup, a move, brand new, having a brand new baby, which was two weeks old. Having to move cross state, I was also mothering in a pandemic. Oh my goodness! And all of my shows and events were being canceled left, right, and center because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I was worried financially as well, of like what was going to happen, and no one could predict how long this pandemic was going to last. So I was just basically living on my savings at that point oh as well. Mm-hmm. And I was interviewing a psychiatrist, um, ironically enough, about depression and anxiety in black women 
And she's then started to name some of the top 10 kind of pointers or indicators for if you're suffering from depression. And as I'm writing them down, I was like, oh, my God, not only do I have like 10 out of 10, I think I have like 12 out of 10. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my goodness. And it was so funny because when I was interviewing her, she said black women that we tend to ignore our signs of depression so much more than our white counterparts. So by the time we actually seek help, our symptoms are nearly three times worse than our white counterparts. Yes. Yes. And as I was writing this, I was just like, I'm the woman she's talking about because my symptoms are three times worse because I ignored them. And I got off the phone with her and I actually just started crying. Like, I just couldn't even believe it. Like, I was like, how did I not know this? Like, how come I did not recognize this? And I immediately booked an online um, assessment with a psychiatrist. And when I was talking to him, one of the things he said to me, and I will always remember this, he said to me, you are going through a breakup, you are mothering for the first time, you're in a pandemic, you are moving, you are stressed financially. One of these things would cause major stress in someone's life. And you are doing five of them all at once. And he was like, why did you not seek help? And I said to him, because I thought I could handle it. Like I always do. I handle it. And I think that's us as black women and then he said to me i'm going to prescribe you um some antidepressants because you are severely depressed and i'm also going to prescribe you some sleeping pills for your insomnia because i was not sleeping like my mind just would not shut down Mm -hmm. and i said to him oh okay fine no problem and i said yeah well um and he said i'll check in with you in three months and i said oh no 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 that's fine um i don't think i'll be on this longer than a month Max, right? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, and that was my thinking. Like, I was just like, you know, if I take four weeks and handle this, I'll be good, you know? Of course. And he said, yeah, and he said, no, dear. No, no, no. He said, I truly think, yeah. He was like, you are going to be on this medication for at least a year or more. And he wow. said, you are severely depressed, Trey, severely. Wow. And that is when it really hit me. And as I write about it in the book, Black Girl in Love with Herself, When the medication arrived, even when it arrived, it sat on my kitchen counter for five days because I didn't want to have the stigma of having and being labeled as someone who was Mm -hmm. depressed. I didn't want to believe that I couldn't handle the stresses in my life. I didn't want to be labeled as weak or crazy, quote unquote crazy. And when I finally took the first pill and started taking my medication for about three weeks to a month. It was as if I had been walking in a fog and all of a sudden I felt sunlight or I was in a dark room and a light switch came on. And it clearly, clearly has added to the well-being of my life. And it was just something that even when, and I I was very, um, private about it I didn't tell anybody mm-hmm. I was I was embarrassed I was scared you know there was a lot of things that really just I just felt a lot of shame around it oh, yes. and so it wasn't until about three or four months into taking the medication I started going public and using my platform to talk about my own journey mm-hmm. and saying you know I want to remove 
the stigma of this mm-hmm. as well and share my story because I had so many people like, you, Trey Anthony, you, <laughs> right? And they were like, oh, but you seem to have it all together. And I said, yeah, I have it all together, but I'm also depressed. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yes. Right? right? Or they'd be like, oh, you're such a powerhouse. And I said, yes, but I'm also depressed, right? I deal with depression. Thank you. And it was something that I really had to talk about. And I can't tell you how many women inboxed me or after reading the book saying you were the first person who really just kind of was just so vulnerable about it. And it really moved me and seeing you using your platform to talk about it. I had women who who were my close friends who sat me down and said, one of my closest friends said, you know, I attempted suicide twice because I did not want to yeah, because I did not want to talk about yes. how much depression and anxiety had taken over my life. And I did not know this about her. But right? so, so interesting, though, Trace, and I apologize for cutting you off, because even with yeah. saying that, that person had enough strength to tell you because she also felt that you were a safe space to, to say that yeah. to, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's in you being now able to tell your story about your journey with mental health, mental illness, that she yeah. was able to now say, this person is safe. I'm not going to be judged by saying Mm -hmm. this so I can actually feel free to share it and that's where we start the healing as black community in particularly as black women women, yes right yeah I just wanted to acknowledge that because that type of information we usually will keep to ourselves in terms of you know uh, attempting suicide thinking about suicide those kinds of Mm -hmm. things and those where the attempts actually become successful because you just keep it keep it in and especially sorry especially a woman with your platform to Trey you know you've mm-hmm. been in the public eye and 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 I think people were probably like I can't believe this happened to her you know and mm-hmm. you just feel like because yeah. everybody's seen me because I'm I'm on this platform I can't be weak you know I can't yeah. I can't yeah. I can't I got to keep on holding it in mm-hmm. and as I'm studying more especially on depression you know there's there's two forms of depression there's a depression mm-hmm. that comes when you know your eyes you, you I mean you're you're sleeping all the time or your the blinds are closed you don't mm-hmm. want to talk to nobody mm-hmm. you um you're you're crying all the time you're not eating or maybe sometimes you're eating yourself silly and there's the other one which is called a high function in depression which is it, it's like on paper or out or out there, it looks like everything is holding together. But mm-hmm. on the inside, yeah. it's the smile and depression. You're dying on the inside. Mm-hmm. And sometimes yeah. you're forcing yourself to, ha- to have this facade of happiness because you feel like if you fake your happiness or if you, or if mm-hmm. you, if you, if you put on the space of just being happy, the, the thoughts will go away. The negativity will right. go away. I right. went through that. So I, 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 I thoroughly un- understand that. And it's, it's such a tough spot to be in, mm-hmm. especially when the world looks up to you and looks to you as this pillar of strength and mm-hmm. success. And this is what yeah. a black woman is. And, and, and you have it riding on your shoulders. I could go on. I, I could go on. It's- well, and, and coming from a clinical and from a research vantage point, I think mm-hmm. the other thing that we also have to look at is um, when we talk about how uh, black women or black community are are um, a lot more likely not to be diagnosed with depression. And finally, when they are diagnosed, again, what Trey had mentioned is, is that it ends up being three times more chronic. Like, it ends yes. up being three times more, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to say fatal, but literally it, it's, th- it's harder to treat because the chronicity 
necessity has set in for a long period of time. So that's number one. But number two, Mm -hmm. a lot of the work that I do is, you know, um, not only just anti-black racism, but anti-oppression, that kind of thing. We also have to look at what are the diagnostic markers usually of depression. And because a lot of the diagnostic markers are the first type of depression that you spoke about, a lot of times we as black community are underdiagnosed as a result of it. Right. So we talk about the, um, you know, when you were talking about the strong black woman complex, I I do speak about the same thing as well. I've done academic papers and as a result of the archetype Mm -hmm. of the strong Mm -hmm. black woman. So because of that archetype and that facade that we put on as strong black women, and especially when you go to a doctor's office, you present well, your face looks good or whatever, the, the, the mental health community in and of itself will also mislabel. Oh, but she dressed well. She looked nice. She wasn't disheveled. She spoke eloquently, those Mm -hmm. types of things. So then what they will do is say that you're not depressed. And that also is an issue within the mental health community that causes a lot of disparity, causes a lot of under uh, diagnosis, and it actually causes a lot of us as community not to seek help because we don't believe we're going to be fully heard. So I also wanted to bring that up because Trey, you're really, really, truly speaking to a lot of what we see in the field, but also a lot of what the research is supporting um, as well. Yeah, and it's so true because I just feel like we don't speak about it at all and we don't talk about it. And then it's viewed as something that should be kept quiet and hush hush or, you know, you feel shame around it. Mm -hmm. And, And I'm just like, no, the more we start talking about it, I think the more women will start to go and seek help. And to be honest with you, I did not start speaking about it. And I don't think I ever would until one night. um, Actually, it was like four o'clock in the morning. My son usually gets up anywhere between 6.30 and 7.30. And that morning he got up at six, um, about four o'clock. And I just couldn't figure it out. And so he was up. And so I, of course, was up. And as we always do, I logged on to Facebook while I was kind of, you know, rocking him back to sleep Mm -hmm. and trying to get him back to sleep. And I saw that a friend, a friend that I know quite well, was hosting a Facebook Live. And I was like, this is so strange um, that they're hosting a Facebook Live at four in the morning. (laughs) So I just clicked on it, right? Mm -hmm. And when I clicked on it, I could see my friend was incoherent and was babbling away and crying and then it finally hit me like 20 seconds in they were using this social media platform to say goodbye they were suicidal (gasps) and they were talking about killing oh my gosh yes 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 and i was the only one in the chat room oh my goodness and so i immediately was typing away and I said, don't do this. I know how it feels. It gets better. Trust me. I know how it feels to feel down and feel alone. And they immediately clicked off. Mm. They just shut down the Facebook live. And so I, I, I sprung into action. I called the police. I called their family and friends. And thank God they were able to go and rescue them. Oh right? my gosh. But, wow. And they ended up staying in the hospital for a couple of days. And it was only after that we started speaking after when they called me to say thank you. And they said, 
I was on medication and I stopped taking my medication right. because I felt embarrassed about it. Right. And I wanted to stop. So I just stopped cold turkey. Oh, my goodness. And they said, I've been battling depression for years and I just stopped taking my medication. And that is when I said, there's no shame in it. I'm also on a medication antidepressants. And they were like, you? And that was the same person who said, you, you. Tracy, you? You seem to have it all together. And I just started laughing and I said, I do have it all together, but I also am battling depression. That's right. And that was when I decided to go public because I said, who knows how many other people's lives I could save by sharing stories. Yes. I know we talk about this all the time. These stories and creating these safe spaces, um, Trey, where the black community can come and share their stories. We say that, first of all, we're taking back our narratives and our story can can help save someone's life or unlock their mental prison. That's, oh, oh, yeah. I, I, love the, I love that. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. goodness. I'm, I'm so glad, Trey, that you have decided to take that step of faith and be vulnerable, but also to show that I, I would say that depression has many faces because yes. I think they, yeah. a lot of people think that depression has one face yep. and it's not about being weak or anything. It's not about not having everything together. I am doing a lot. I am contributing to the community. I have had all of these successes and I'm dealing with depression and yes. anxiety. Yeah. It's not an either or. Right. Yeah, and I think exactly, that, exactly. that to me is huge. Yes. Um, you yeah. know, it, it's it's because the thing is, it's like the minute you hear the moniker or hear that label depression, all of a sudden your whole life has to be an absolute shambles. And that's mm-hmm. not there are many faces of illness. So we have to be mindful of that. But thank you, Trey, for that as well, to actually say, no, 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 no. You know, we there are several faces here. I am one of them. And yes. please do not have any shame, you know, regarding yeah. that. So absolutely. why don't we go into our next question? Because, you know, you know, Trey, where are you at now? Like if we talk about where are you at in your yes. life right now, we know we have to include the book. We have to talk <laughs> about the book. So, yeah. but, you know, with this journey, you've talked about, you know, you, you've been, um, you know, have a psychiatrist are you having any any other types of of therapy but it just in general where are you at now yes i weekly see a therapist oh um yes so that is something that i've been an advocate even before um i had um being diagnosed with depression i was seeing a therapist and then i had stopped (laughs) seeing a therapist because like many of us i was like oh i'm I'm good good. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've heard that quite it's like oh no i'm good and then a couple months later like can i come and see you dr williams i'm like yes of course right and i think that is the thing like when we you get better like you you got better because you were doing things to make you better right and so you can't just stop the things that you're doing to make you better (laughs) right And so um, that is something that I really try and do. I really practice like um, many of the things that I outline in the book um, around self-care. That means um, getting sleep, going to bed early. That means helping. uh, (laughs) Yes, Uh, I will say this. Trey, I'm telling you, yeah. going to bed early. Yeah. You know, being a being a fairly new mom myself too, I, yeah. I found myself going uh-huh. to bed really late all the time. And the moment I switch it to ten o'clock maximum, I can yeah. get up at five. Yeah. I'm still getting eight hours sleep and I get so much done. The going to bed early, it it really 
It Trey. really helps. I'm, I'm it, it, you. It, I think it's a game changer. It yes. is wow. a game changer. It is. Yeah, so going to bed and getting um, seven to eight hours oh, worth of sleep yes. is a game changer. Trey, and for me, you I used seen, to be you the person seen... who would exist on four hours of sleep. Right. And I, think I was okay, you know? Trey, you so should have seen Stacey Ann's face. A big one for me. You should have seen Stacey Ann's face when you just said that, Trey. That there was a, a light <laughs> that like, just illuminated off her face. She's like, yes, yes, sleep, <laughs> yes, seven eight hours. Oh you no, know? I hear. And the thing is, that is of yeah, the utmost importance. Important. Absolutely, important. and especially for women who are mothering and who have young kids. You know, we are doing a lot, mm-hmm. and as me being a solo parent, like. I have a whole new respect for women who are doing it on their own. Mm. It is. It's, this isn't for the week. Right. This, this really isn't right. For the week. <laughs> right. <sighs> so I really, truly um, do that. And then the other thing is around being a solo parent and also being a black woman is asking for help. Oh, and actually yes. Help. Yes. <laughs> That is a tough That's one. That's a big one. That's a Even big for one me for me at because times. I was always the person who was like, no, no, I got it. I got it. I got, I got this. It. Don't worry. Don't worry. You know? So. Yeah. That, that is a big one for me. That yeah. is, it's a huge one. And you're right because. A lot of times we feel that the minute we're asking for help, that is actually showing our weakness. Yes. And I'm like, you yeah. know what? It's actually showing Your our strength. strength. Yes, that, that we is can, that, that Because we always talk about, and especially from an, from an Afrocentric African perspective, when we talk about it takes a village, we've always been, as African people, community-based. Mm-hmm. So why now all of a sudden we are now going away from our Africanness mm-hmm. and you know thinking that we have to do this all by ourselves? Exactly. I think think to be very honest it is going back to our to our african roots, roots. of of community and being able to say this is mm-hmm. not just about me. me you know there is a community out there that will also be able to assist me with whatever i need when i am feeling overwhelmed it's not just about the i it's about the we exactly right so it's getting back i think to those roots but it's but- also the stigma that's in our community where asking for help is a sign of weakness it's also shame right. and the secrecy that comes with it you know Trey I like to I like to explain mental illness in the black community as the big elephant sitting there on the couch in the shocking color green and the pink polka dots right there on the couch that we don't address you know we just don't address it's the dust we continuously sweep under the rug we just don't address it but yeah yeah it's so so true like yeah and we we don't address it and and we need to you know Stacey um what was funny and I talk about this in my book is when I was being um, assessed by the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist said to me, do you have any mental health in your family? Hmm. And it was only when he raised that question to me, I remembered being a little girl very clearly, right? Mm -hmm. All of the years growing up with my grandmother. And I, I talk about this in the book where I said, I remember my grandmother would go in the room maybe like every two months or three months, go into her room, draw the curtains. She would be in her bed for days. And my job was to just go in and leave a cup of tea on her dresser and a couple of maybe crackers and butter and and cookies or something. And under the covers, my grandmother would be just muttering like, I'm so fed up, I'm so fed up, I'm so fed up. And she wouldn't leave the room for for days. And then miraculously, she would just get up, draw the curtains, and then be back to who my grandmother was, this bubbly, vivacious woman doing her thing. And I said, for years, 
I, I don't think any of us ever spoke about it. No one in my family, mm-hmm. not my mother, not her five other kids. This was something that we knew that she did. And it was only as I was writing this book talking about black women and mental health, I realized that my grandmother had undiagnosed mental health. Mm-hmm. And that's how she dealt with it. Wow. Right? Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. my. Wow. And that, yeah. and that you're right, though. So now we're starting to really start to look at, especially when you bring up that question, do you have mental illness in your family? family. Yes. We yes. now have to open up that curtain and say, this is generational. We've yes. been dealing with this from a generational perspective yes. for a significant amount of time, but it has not been reported, obviously not diagnosed, but not even acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. So and, and exactly. so then again, so then what happens is is that trauma mm-hmm. transcends from generation to generation, generation, transgenerational yes. trauma. trauma. Yeah. So then what happens? It yes. becomes multi-layered. So the way that you have to break that that, that generational curses, if we talk about it, you know, from from a religious perspective, or even it's really starting to acknowledge the you know it ends with me. Yes, you know, I've always I, said yeah. that it ends with me, and then you go yeah. back and and sort of look at sort of you know how you look at the other generations before to sort of elicit your healing and say enough is enough I'm where this stops and I'm not going to perpetuate this any further as much as they treat they taught me certain gifts and talents and lessons and all of these types of things these lessons I cannot transcend to my children mm-hmm. now right exactly. I, and now that you know better you now do, do better, better. Absolutely. Right. And that's how we break these curses, because this is why the black community and the stigma of mental health has transcended over generations. It's just been this, you know, I need to hold on to this and keep on surviving, surviving. And I keep on one of the big things I talk about is thriving is our birthright. Yes. Right. We've been taught to survive. So we're not we're not vilifying what our, our, our parents taught us and what our grandparents taught us because they taught us what they knew. Yes. But part of also what they transcended down to us was their trauma. Yes, that's so true. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's it's definitely um, fascinating when we now start to think back Absolutely. and start to look it's at so our mothers yeah. and our, our grandmothers and even aunties and all of that kind of stuff. Yes. Like we really because I remember I had a client and my client um, was saying something to the effect of, you know, I never saw my mother upset. I never saw my mother have an argument. You know, everything was oh. always perfect. I go that that's what she showed you. Mm-hmm. Is that what you truly yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So it's, it's so true. It is. so, And then also, too, like I talk about this in the book as well, about the coded language that we use in our community. Because I remember my grandmother always saying about like certain family members, right? Like, oh, don't bother with her. Her nerves aren't good. Or oh, she's she- nervous as a kitten, or you know, say I had no good, right? And, and, and <laughs> yes. I'm just like, what does that mean, <laughs> right? Yes. But that was our way of saying someone had mental health, yes. right? Yes. And that was, yes. yes so we- it's those kind of things now that as a grown woman and starting to do this research and talk about mental health, I also have to say we need to name it <laughs> and say, this is what this is. Right. Right? Yes. It's not her head's not good or she nervous <laughs> like a kitten. Maybe she has anxiety. <laughs> exactly. 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 I always talk about the language surrounding mental illness yeah. in our community and how we need to change that, you know, how certain things are addressed. And I've always, always 
often talk about how in our community and say, for instance, especially in the Jamaican community, when it comes to mental illness, there's no in between. It's either you're sane or you're gone mad. There is no like, you know, like in between there. So the language definitely needs to change. Trey, as we're as we're about to wrap up with the with your interview today, can you tell us what ways you feel? And I think you addressed some of it, too. We can change the stigma of mental illness in the black community. I think the best way we can do is people using their forum and their platform. And, 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 and a lot of people think that you have to have, you know, thousands of thousands of um, people on Instagram following you or, you know, followers and all of this. But no, it's about having these kind of conversations and talking about it and also stopping this highlight reel of all of us acting as if we're all together at all times. And I'm <laughs> yeah. very aware of that, yes. right? I'm a very You're talking to me and I, I felt that. <laughs> Especially last year, I'm like, I, I, oh. I, I thought I had everything together. But boy. boy, Trey, you hit oh. a nerve. You hit a nerve, boy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, think, I think we need to be, and I talk about this in the book, um, Black Girl in Love with Her Stuff. I talk about just vulnerability, right? Of, of just course. admitting sometimes that, you know, I'm scared. I don't have all the answers. Today, yes. I felt lonely. Today, I felt like as a mother, you know, I could have had my shit together better. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I think all of those things of just naming it, instead of acting like the super strong black woman, will help us with our own mental health. And it also, as you said, create safe spaces for other women. Yes. Right. Like, well, if she can say that, then I'm okay, right? But when yes. you see everybody, you know, I, I, I talk about this, like when I see people with their, um, you know, significant other on Facebook with matching pajamas and drinking <laughs> cocoa out of matching cups, and I barely find a pair of matching socks for my kids to wear to daycare, I feel like I'm losing it, right? <laughs> and so I just wish people would be real because I'm like, that's the kind of mom I am, that right about now, sometimes my kid's eating a Cheerio, a dirty Cheerio off the kitchen floor. Uh, oh, well. right? That's the kind of mom I am. Right? Yes. I have it all together at all times. Yes, right? absolutely. I, re- I remember before I became a mom, I used to think like I was going to be that mom that's pushing my baby down, um, down the road uh-huh. and with the in the I want to say prom, but you prom. know, stroller in my heels tray and my fancy dress and my hair is all done. Please, yeah. please, <laughs> please, <laughs> you know, right. And I I always say to people, I was such a great mom and I knew everything about mothering until I became a mom. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But I agree with you, Trey, because I find a lot of times, you know, people put on Instagram and Facebook what they want or believe people need to see. Mm -hmm. They never really, a lot of people, majority of people do not put out their vulnerabilities on yeah. Facebook because they don't believe that that's the platform for it or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So, but then you end up getting these imp- this imposter syndrome, right? If yes. you want to if you want to really call it from a clinical vantage point and that's where I end up seeing a lot of people with depression, with anxiety, you know, coming to me and 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 talking about, you know, feeling that they don't measure up, but they're looking at a platform that's already flawed and is actually yes. not necessarily based in reality, but that's where they use that as a as a judgment stick 
for themselves and their own mm-hmm. lives. So, you yeah. know, during psychotherapy, we really have to start to unpack some of that in terms of, you know, this individual is receiving their value from a flawed source. Yes. 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 And being exactly. able to now say, you know, why is that? I, I usually talk about putting things on a pedestal. or So I, I, I will start to ask them, you know, why is it that Facebook and Instagram is on a pedestal for you? So what, what, what gives it so much value that you believe it's 100% truth? Because now uh-huh. you're basing your value on this thing that you're putting on, on this pedestal. Yes. What will it take for us to really start to poke holes in that theory and remove it off the pedestal? Mm-hmm. Because once you start to yeah. poke holes in it and you know that it's not 100% true, you then start to not value it as much which means you don't place your value so much on facebook and instagram because you can actually see it for what it is yes and that's what we start to do it in in sort of the sessions that i have with you know when we start talking about sort of social media and how that impacts um you know uh, you know depression and anxiety yeah yeah, because you're playing the comparison game sometimes that's it and you feel like because if you if you've led uh, a life where everything is all honky-dory and then when things start to go bad you still have to keep up like it's honky-dory right and it's hard to you you then fall into what would people think right you know yeah yeah been there been there Um, (laughs) oh trust me i've been there (laughs) (laughs) stacy ann is like yeah that's me that's me (laughs) i've been there there. um trey this is this is a part of the um the podcast where we like to call i'm gonna drop a fun question i mean all the questions are fun but this one um this one originated how this question came about i was at work one day and I went to the water cooler and I saw they had a sign that says, take one thing for your mental health. And, you know, back in the day when, say, you had a babysitter or somebody that was saying, oh, I fixed this or I fixed that. And they'll put their number on a piece of paper and they, they'll cut it in little strips and you can yeah. rip that strip off. That's how it was. And it was different words that that is like, take one thing for your mental health. So I've decided to incorporate that concept into the podcast and to end it with asking each guest, what is one word? Just one word that you feel describes your journey with mental health. Oh, I know. <laughs> one, one word. One word. Acceptance. Acceptance? Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Acceptance. Oh, wow. Just accepting, just accepting that I'm a person who struggles with mental health. If that was the biggest, um, with, um, with depression who really has to make my mental health a priority. Yes. And so I had to accept that. And it was something that I struggled with for the longest time. I didn't want to believe mm-hmm. that I needed to make my mental health a priority, wow. you know? So I would say acceptance. Wow. I think that that makes so much sense. And you know what's so interesting? Once you embody acceptance, if you think about this, because there's actually, just as an aside, there's a, there's a, a modality of therapy that psychologists use called acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT. Mm-hmm. It's an offshoot of cognitive behavioral therapy. But basically, the concept of acceptance is once you're able to embrace that, what you do is you, it's almost like that metaphor of when you finally release the rope, it actually stops hurting you versus oh, the gripping of the rope yes. that causes so much pain. The acceptance is is now the ability to sort of let the hand go and mm. be able to then, you know, stop holding on to this um, you know, this this thing of, you know, no, I can't accept this. It's not me. It's not me because it's yes. actually in the non-acceptance that 
perpetuates and actually uh, deepens the the symptoms. Ah, so it's yeah. being able to get yeah. to that place of of acceptance where it still says that there's a journey. There's still a road that you have to take, but it is in the acceptance that you actually your healing starts. It's true. Very, yeah. very so. True. So I think it's a perfect word. That's so powerful, Trey. You are powerful. Oh, my gosh. You are such a powerful oh, woman. I've always been a fan. I don't even like using the word fan, a supporter. You've always been an inspiration. There you go. A true Thank inspiration, you. and you have paved the way for so many black women, especially in the film and TV industry, in theater. You have set the bar, and and obviously setting the bar isn't being one of the first takes a lot of hard work, but what I really appreciate about you is that you lift as you climb, mm. and you don't really, it's really rare to find that, and and mm-hmm. and when you see that, especially in our community, you know, you, you, you have to give the flowers where the flowers is due. You have to give the respect where the respect is due. And you have to sit big up yourself. You know? Thank and you. and it's and yeah. it's and it's I love watching you watching you grow. I yes, I'm gonna stop talking <laughs> because I feel like I'm gonna <laughs> probably fangirling right now no, but no no I, no but I, no, again, I have to give you your flowers and just tell you how much I appreciate you how much I see you I really do see you mm. and you know Thank what you. and you know Thank what you. I I echo everything that you've said Stacey Ann um um I, I've seen you as well for, I mean, being in community, I've seen you for a long, long time. I've seen, you know, how you've grown, how you've developed. And, and you know, I have nothing but the utmost respect for you. And I think, you know, your platform is not only going to continue to grow, but I know that you're going to continue to impact so many lives because you've already done so but now yes. your platform is now going to a next level so you're now going to impact even more lives so um for everyone listening here as well get that book, book. yes get that yes. book <laughs> because this is now the next this is sort of like the next part of the journey because again you've impacted so many lives already i mean just when you spoke earlier about the kink in my hair and, and those kinds of things that in and of itself was revolutionary and you impacted so many lives but you know what your journey continues and your mm-hmm. healing continues i'm going to tell you you are also doing a lot of healing with what you are yeah. doing so yes. this book is the next foray in terms of your healing work so trey thank you so thank you so much trey for being part of our show thank you thank you for having me i really appreciate you've reached the end of another episode of the blind stigma podcast with your hosts stacy ann buchanan and dr natasha williams Thank you for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener and you like the show, then please subscribe, rate, and review us on all the major podcast platforms. Don't forget to connect with us on social media at The Blind Stigma and join the conversation. Find out more about each guest and help us to change the stigma while taking back our narratives. This podcast is produced by What's Up Toronto and Stacey Ann Buchanan Productions.